I wanted to um, do a couple things. So I wanted to have that announcement, um, but I also want to read another verse this morning as we um, have a few minutes here. I want to talk about um, that I think really ties into this, and I think you'll see how this is going to tie into this. This idea of um, where we're headed, where we're going, what we're doing, what the, what the next season of ministry at Southeast is going to look like. And I use that word a lot, and Mary knows that I use the word season a lot, because I think what tends to happen in the life of church, and I'll tell you this, maybe I'll pull back the curtain here a little bit on pastors. Pastors have a tendency to do this. I've got an idea, okay? And we get an idea and we see something ahead of us, and we sort of just go, and we just sort of walk to that. And, and the worst of pastors, what we can do is we can sort of go, are you with me? Let's go. And we just sort of go. And then we look and go, uh-oh, I don't know where everybody went. Somebody unhitched somewhere. And you're just sort of on your own because you're focused on this idea and you just see it. What, the, what seasons enable us to do is to put this idea that God, and you guys know these, you might know the 60s song, right? To everything there is a season, right? Okay, and the idea that comes from Scripture, to everything, there is a season. There's a season for this type of ministry. There's a season to focus on this idea. There's a season to do this. And so what that does is it enables you to sort of live within God's mercy and his grace. A little bit of thinking about your living within the, uh, those dreams that he's giving you. You're believing that it's for this time and this place. And you don't get caught focusing on something that is outside of the dreams of what God is doing within you in that moment. You're always saying, God, where are you moving us? Where are you taking us next? And we should all do this, not just me and not just the church, but as people. God, where are you leading us? Where are you taking us? Where do you have me going next? Instead of saying, this is where I want to go, God, are you going to come with me or not? You're saying, God, in this season, I'm following you, and this is what I believe you're doing in my life. It enables us to ask other people. It helps us find mentors. It helps us to have those spiritual relationships that say, God, I'm trying to figure this out. And this person can help me understand this. It just, it just really helps us to put God first. So in this season, what does that look like? What's our focus? What, what are we trying to emphasize? And so today, I think we're going to look at this verse, and I think this is going to help us all a little bit here. So in Psalm 1-2, Psalm 1, 1 through 2, uh, listen to this. It starts out like this. This is so cool. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, as a reminder, if our kids uh, during this, you know, want to get up and get crayons and get the coloring sheets, feel free to do that, okay? So just want to make sure you're aware that those are over there. So you can grab crayons, you can grab sheets, adults, anybody, really honestly, you can color some flowers during the sermon, totally fine. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Stand the way the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, I've preached this, this verse a ton of times, and the word that always kind of comes out to me is this word blessed, right? What does it mean to be blessed? Now, I have to be honest with you. For me, the inner cynic of me has always come out when I see the word blessed, because I always think of people on any kind of social media, maybe, maybe Facebook, if you're on Facebook, it's Instagram, and you know these people who highly filter their pictures, and then they put hashtag blessed. 
Now, this was almost me last week. I was mowing the grass, and you guys know I'm, I'm pretty bad about my grass. And I was mowing the grass, and I'm in the backyard, and I look across the backyard, and I was like, oh, man, look at that. And I was like, I'm going to hashtag no filter on this one. I don't, e- I don't even need to filter this thing. Y'all are going to think there's a filter, but look at that. I am blessed. Now, the problem is, though, that idea of blessed and why it's okay to be cynical about that idea of blessed, because that idea of blessed is a really broken idea of blessed. And I want you to understand, I'm not pointing fingers at you. Every time I'm pointing, I'm pointing three back that I do the same exact thing. I tend to be like, okay, so, you know, everything is perfect in the shot, and if it's not perfect, I'm going to retake it, no matter what's happening outside the frame, because inside the frame is blessed. Inside the frame, everything looks good. Outside the frame is a disaster. You know, I know how to turn any kind of home project I did. I can take the picture just the right way. I could be a great house flipper because I could just take the shot just the right way. And if you turn around the other way, you're going to see it's not blessed. It's broken. But this way looks blessed. And we all have a tendency to do that. We all have this, you know, I'm going to make this look perfect. But here's the truth, and you know this. What's real life? Real life isn't perfect. Real life is messy. Real life is frustrating. Real life is busy. We all try to show filtered views of life. Listen, I'm going to be straight up and honest because I I love you guys. One of the things that I could do today is I could take a picture, and I could just take a picture of these rows right here, and I could send this to all my pastor friends and go, hashtag blessed on Mother's Day, and I would miss that we have some empty seats this morning. And as a pastor, that's been hard. It is hard, but you have to change your mentality and see things differently, friends. We have had seasons of growth. We have seasons where we've, you know, dipped in attendance a little bit. We've had friends that have disappeared and come back and moved around, whatever, all these things, right? These aren't empty seats. These are people who aren't sitting in them yet. That's the blessing. It's opportunity. We have to to rethink how we see things. Instead of being like, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to find the perfect picture and frame it perfect so that I can be blessed, I have to see, well, how is God blessing me in the moment of all of this outside the frame, not just inside the frame? And that's the good news of this passage. Blessed isn't about a filtered life. Blessed isn't about ignoring the reality of the busyness and the frustrations and the time that maybe things aren't going right. It's how we live our lives in an unfiltered reality. That's how you live blessed. Blessed, as we find it in scriptures, has this way richer meaning. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So the first thing we see here is how not to experience blessing. I love this. I love this. It's like a roadmap. Okay, first of all, we have all these things. This is what it's telling us. We have all these things that demand our time, resources, and energy. Right? Every single one of us. When you get up in the morning, you can tell yourself, I've got time, I've got resources, and I've got energy. What am I going to give those things to today? What am I going to do with that? This is why going from work at home to work at office was so hard. Because work at home was, let's see, my time, I, can, I don't have to get up two hours before I have to clock in. I have my energy, I can just put my pajama pants on and go sit in front of a computer. That sounds great, 
right? And my money. I don't have to pay for gas. I get to use that for other stuff, right? Is this right? Does this make sense, you guys? That was hard for, for a lot of people because of those, those pieces. So there's a very real example. I have, I have energy. I have resources. I have time. How am I going to spend those things? And this passage says, it's easy to go down the wrong path with it. It's easy to get lost in it. The author describes it for us that this is what we tend to do. We don't mean to end up with our priorities out of whack, but if our lives go in the wrong direction, one step at a time, it just gets all messed up. So blessed is the one who does not walk in step with wicked, right? So you start to get your priorities out of whack. You start to walk the wrong path. You know where you're supposed to go, and you're sort of like, just kind of meandering, and then you begin to stand around and get kind of lazy, and then you just sit down in the nastiness of it. And before you know it, you didn't mean to get there. I mean, this is, this is why we have to have grace. None of us mean to get there. That's what this passage is saying. Show grace to people who are, who are in that mess. Nobody, nobody meant to mess their life up. Nobody meant to get there. They didn't have somebody to tag them back and say, come on, get back over here with me. No, I just began to kind of meander. I, I've been, you've been there. We've all been there. You're kind of meandering. You kind of stand around in it. Well, it's too hard to walk back. Before you know it, you're caught in it. Now you're not living a blessed life. And that's what he's saying here. The slow progression that ends up in a life that, listen, is mocking the life of faith. The mocker says, man, there's no grace for me. The, mo- the mocker says, there's no love for me. The, the person who mocks it says, God doesn't, God doesn't want anything to do with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mess. See, so you start to mock all this good stuff, his grace and his love, his mercy, that he has a place for you in his kingdom. But this slow progression takes us there. And it's parallel to where he wants us to be. Hear it again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But, but, but blessed is whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So whose delight is in the law, not the person who's just doing this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on that law day and light. So here, here's some thoughts on this. We're not blessed. We can all agree to this. We're not blessed because the outside frame, what's outside the frame looks just as good as what's inside. Or because our unfiltered lives look the same as the filter ones. We're not blessed because I don't have to add a filter to life. I'm not blessed because everything inside the frame is exactly as it's supposed to be. Because we all know that outside the frame is a complete disaster and a complete mess. Instead, what the psalmist is saying here, what this is so powerful is, a blessed life isn't outside in. It's inside out. This is true of everything. Your life isn't blessed by outside-in circumstances, but by inside-out reality. Our church isn't blessed because of outside-in, but inside-out. Your family isn't blessed because of outside-in, but because of inside-out. He's saying that's where the blessed life is found, 
inside, something happening inside and then going out. In other words, we experience blessed life not because of what's happening outside to us, but because of what God is doing in and through us in every moment of life. And this is what I've really been trying to push during the sermon series that we've been in. This whole time that we've been talking that you may believe, this was the thing that I wanted to emphasize. That as we looked at what it meant to believe, that we understood and we kept coming back to this idea that belief in Jesus isn't simply an intellectual acceptance. We don't just accept, oh, oh sure, I'll just take this intellectual acceptance. It's not saying, oh, yeah, well, I, I, Jesus probably lived and I, I like what they say that Jesus taught. That's not it. Belief that we find in the scriptures, and this is what I kept coming back to over and over again, is an invitation to accept that Jesus is Lord and Messiah of this world and of our lives. That's a belief. That when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, we see the love, grace, mercy, power of God on full display in Jesus but we also then believe that that can be at work within us. This is what's such incredible good news. That I look at Jesus and I say, I see all of God's love and grace and mercy and goodness and power at work in Jesus. And then it's like Jesus is saying, yes. And that power, that love, that mercy, that goodness should be at work within you because that is the power of resurrection. That is the power of belief. That is the power of, of this whole thing that we call faith. That is what we want people to understand. I'm not asking you to believe an arbitrary set of beliefs like you're pulling a dictionary off the wall. I'm not asking you to memorize a bunch of scripture. That's fine sometimes. That's great. But like, I'm not asking you just to say, okay, I know that. We don't just know things. We live it. We experience it. It transforms us. It changes us. Otherwise, just shut the doors and walk out. If it's not changing anything, what's the point? But that's the good news. That, that it is the point. It's an inside-out change to our lives. And we're told this in the, the scriptures, that we are to, and I want you to hear this, immerse ourselves in the way of Jesus. We're to be immersed in the way of Jesus. Not to look and just go, yeah, the way of Jesus looks cool. I like that. Jesus is like, no, immerse yourselves, follow, be transformed and changed. The way we read this is here, Jesus was talking to his disciples the disciples who were struggling to believe, to believe in the resurrection, to believe what this means, to believe, how do, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? Jesus said to them, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He says, believe, be baptized, and teach what I have commanded Baptism here is this full immersion into this new kind of life. And Jesus instructed his followers to make disciples of all people. So the first thing I want to do is I want to invite you. Like I have the last few weeks, 
Immerse yourselves in the way of Jesus. Don't just simply make an intellectual acceptance of Jesus. If you spent your life in that place, I want you to say, I am ready to immerse myself in the way of Jesus, figuratively and literally. If you haven't been baptized, I invite you to take that full step publicly to say, I declare that I follow Jesus. I am fully immersing myself in the way of Jesus and coming out of the water a brand new creation in Christ because I have been saved and redeemed and restored and resurrected through his power into his love and his mercy and his grace and his goodness. That's what we're doing here, folks. And then he says, then go teach them everything that I've taught. And this is where I want us to see how this connects with all of this because this is, this is super cool. This is super cool. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, we have heard something similar like this before, that that we should take what has been taught and teach it to others. Jesus says, here are my disciples. Now you go teach it to other people. If we back up in the scriptures all the way to the Old Testament, we're going to find a man named Moses who does the same thing. He says, here are the commandments that God has given us. Now go teach them. But listen who he tells them to teach. He says, these commandments, this is in Deuteronomy. So this is Moses talking to the Israelites. This is way, way, way before Jesus, okay? He's talking to the Israelites after they left Egypt. They're about to go into the promised land. Guys, the picture frame is about to be perfect. Do you see what's happening here? They're leaving slavery. They're going to the promised land, and they think we're about to be blessed. And Moses says, well, wait, 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 wait. If you frame everything by this picture because you're just in the promised land now and you miss that the whole point was that something interior is supposed to happen to change the exterior, you're going to blow it. So instead, what I want you to do, he's saying, I want you to see the focus needs to be what's inside the picture and that it comes out. So he says this. This is so cool. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. They're not just decoration. They're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. So these commands are to be on their hearts. That's number one. They're not just supposed to agree to whatever he says next. That, that, That sounds good. Sounds good. There's to make them central in their lives. And then as they do it, they're supposed to impress them on their children. And this makes a lot of sense. How can we impress something upon the next generation if we don't believe it ourselves? See, we all know it's hypocritical. You've heard this. You've said this. I said do as I say, not as I do. We've all heard it. And you sit there and go, no. It's not powerful. Nobody's going to listen to that. Jeff, right? Nobody's going to listen to that. You could do that. That's a, that's a parenting thing. That's a leadership thing. How many times at work have you looked at somebody and said, yeah, we'll just do it that way because I told you to do it that way. You don't do it that way. Yeah, that's going to work real well, right? That doesn't work. But if people see you doing and you say, do as I do, oh, that changes everything. So this makes a lot of sense to us. Do as I do is powerful. And this is where something really cool happens in this passage. Listen again. This is cool. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And do you see the movement? Talk about them when you sit 
at home. When you're walking along the road and when you get up, as we share our faith with the next generation, that's what he's talking about here, we're doing exactly what Psalm 1 said to do. But instead of walking, standing, and sitting with whatever pulls us away from faith, when we are talking about it, when we sit at home, when we're walking and walking and talking about it, when we get up and it becomes the major theme of our lives, then we're growing and developing in our faith. So with whoever we're walking with or sitting with, or standing with, in this case, he's talking about the next generation. He says, as you impress on them, you are learning and growing and developing. I know this firsthand. Not because I'm a great dad and I figured it out with my kids, but because of the youth group. These kids walked into my life. They're sitting around my house. And as we begin to do life as a little community. They're asking questions and they say something. I mean, I sit there and I'll go, I never thought about it that way. Man, I have two degrees. I never thought about it that way. That's really good. You guys are smart. Now, don't tell a teenager that ever. They know. They're aware. But I'm telling you, there's something about, like you make this the center Walk with them, talk with them. And he says, as you do that, he's like, as you walk with this next generation, as you walk with them and tell them about faith, as you make it the center of your life, as you share that with them, you're not going to walk down this road. You're not going to stand among these people. You're not going to sit down in it. Because not only are you seeing the grace and mercy and love and purpose of God lived out in these kids, you're seeing it lived out in your life as well. It is so cool. It's like this symbiotic relationship if we look here and see this. It's, it's an incredible principle. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you got up. Now, if you're sitting here today and you have questions, first of all, I love you because we all should have questions. The question you might have is, well, which commandments? Well, Moses was talking about a certain set of commandments. And those commandments are huge. Read the book of De- Deuteronomy. Get into Leviticus. I challenge you. See how long it takes you to get through the book? You'll have to stop a couple times and be like, I can't keep going. There's a lot going on there. Well, the cool news, the great news about this, to to make this very simple, is that at one point, somebody came to Jesus, and they had the same question. All these commands. Jesus, which ones really matter? This is what he said. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, one of them an expert in the law, so he knew all these commands tested Jesus with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest command of the law? Which is the one that I should impress on my heart and impress on these kids? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. So Jesus is like, no, I don't, I don't do a greatest commandment. I do too. Too bad. They have the same weight. Don't ever forget this. They have the same weight. He says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, he says all the knowledge about God that you know hangs on these two commandments. Love God, 
love others. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you would say, love God, love others. Perfectly symbolized in who Jesus was. And he says, that's it. These are the commands. Love God, love others. It's why our mission statement is simple. Exploring the way of Jesus. We are inviting others not to tell them about Jesus, okay? But to explore the way of Jesus together. We are exploring the way of Jesus as a community, as a family. Explore the way of Jesus as we learn to love God, love others, and bring life to our community. As we explore the way of Jesus, you've heard me say this before, we learn to love God. We learn to love others as Jesus taught us to do. As we explore the way of Jesus and learn to love others, we learn to love God the way that Jesus did. And as we do that, we bring life into our community. That, that's the part that we add there, to bring life to our community. Because when you explore the way of Jesus and goodness and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love become the center of your life, the center of this community, you can't help but bring life to your neighborhood, your community, the city, and the entire world. Now, it can seem like a lot of pressure when we look out and we see the next generation. We see all the, all the kids that are in the youth group. We think about all the kids that are showing up. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe the church is uniquely designed to not only help us to teach them, but as we do it for them to teach us. And then maybe it's in the unfiltered moments of life, the daily moments that we get to walk with this next generation, that we begin to realize how blessed we are. See, that's pretty cool. So as we go into this next season, we realize that we have a path, that we have a call to make disciples. The next generation that generation there, the generation after them, the generation before them, the neighbor next to you, the people down the street, the people you don't know who are going to sit in these chairs, that as we walk together and explore the way of Jesus, learning to, to walk and sit and stand in his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his, his power, that as we do that, that we begin to grow and learn and see what it looks like to live from the inside out. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty awesome principle. And that's what we learned today on this Mother's Day. God, we are so thankful for this time to look at these scriptures, to look at this challenge, to see that we have an opportunity to, to grow, to, to help the next generation, to help people down the street, to help our neighbors, to help um, everybody in our life to come and experience your goodness and your mercy to walk with them, to explore the way of Jesus, and to see that in that, we are learning the power of this inside-out life that you have promised us. 
God, help anybody who is here today as they make those next steps. Maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe it's a decision to baptism. Maybe it's a decision to, to just change some things in life, to recognize and see all of us have a place to walk closer to you. And you stand with open arms welcoming us in. It's your name that we pray. Amen.